My headache won't go away. I get blurry vision. My balance is awful. I'm exhausted. We can all get these symptoms from time to time. But if you or a loved one notice you're getting a combination of them regularly, don't ignore it. They could be signs of a brain tumour. My headache won't go away. I get blurry vision. My balance is awful. I'm exhausted. To learn more about the common signs of a brain tumour, search Better Safe Than Tumour. Welcome to Let's Talk About Brain Tumours, the podcast where we'll be talking to people who've been affected by a brain tumour diagnosis, either their own diagnosis or the diagnosis of a loved one. We'll also be sharing news and updates from the Brain Tumour Charity about what we're doing to halve the harm and double survival. Welcome to the podcast. Today I've got with me Lauren and Kaz. We're going to be talking about a subject which I know is really important to quite a few people I speak to, and that is what happens when it's your sibling that has a diagnosis and what happens when your sibling unfortunately dies. So we're going to be talking to Lauren and Kaz about their experiences of their own siblings. So I'm going to start with Kaz to introduce herself and tell us a little bit about herself, if that's okay with you, Kaz. Yeah, that's fine. Hi, I'm Kaz. Um, My younger sister, Rhea, was diagnosed in December 2018 with glioblastoma grade four after suffering a a sudden stroke. At the time, I was in living and working in New Zealand, um, so hopped on the first flight back. I have a bit of a kind of blessing and a curse of being a healthcare professional. I'm a neurophysio. So I kind of knew from the beginning of the journey how it was likely to end, um, but had the struggle of, you know, having the information and not being able to talk to anyone about it. Rhea underwent a lot of treatment, uh, including radiotherapy, numerous different chemotherapies, two brain surgeries, and we even fundraised to try immunotherapy in Germany. The treatment helped um, to slow the growth, uh, but obviously it's incurable brain tumour. So Rhea had two years and months of her diagnosis before she died last year in August 2021. She was 25 when she died. She was my only sibling. She was five years younger than me. And obviously there's been a lot of focus um, the past few years on, you know, making her her life a, a good quality of life until the end. Um, but obviously after she's died, my whole world has fallen apart, basically. So, yeah, it's been eight months since she died. And I'm still trying to figure out what my life is without her in it. But I think coming on a podcast like this is a really good start in, you know, processing emotions and sharing the sibling story, which I think gets forgotten about. I was going to say it's a long journey, but it's not long in the sense that in the space of that time, you lost your sibling. So although it seems like over two years you were caring for her, that's a short space of time for your whole life to have changed. Yeah, yeah. It was a, a lot of change all at once and a roller coaster, as anyone knows, with a brain tumour journey. Um, your whole world is surrounded by brain tumours and the treatment and the worry of what's going to happen next. And it feels all at once a flash and the longest time in my life. Yeah, all at once. Same as the past eight months felt like that she just died yesterday, but also feels like I don't remember her being here. It's very strange. 
combination of feelings. Thank you for sharing that. What about you, Lauren? Do you want to tell us a little bit about how come you've come to be here? So my sister, Katie, got diagnosed with a grade four diffuse midline glioma in October 2020. We got told it's more common in children, but adults usually live around two to three years after diagnosis. Katie was supposed to start radiotherapy about a month later, but she'd previously had a shunt fitted, so she had a lot of complications. She had around 10 surgeries on the shunt, which kept delaying the treatment. So she never actually got to start treatment. And then in January 2021, we got told that because of how rapid and aggressive it was that it spread and she died only three months after diagnosis in mm-hmm. January the 15th, 2021. So it all happened so, so fast. And that's the thing about brain tumors. You both end the spectrum really, one really, really quickly, no time to process. And another, you've had that long time where it really altered your life because it took over your life caring for her. Luckily, at the time I was on furlough, so I could be there to help care for her, along with my mum and her husband. One of the only blessings of COVID, isn't it, that you have the opportunity to spend that quality time with them? I've been at work every day, I wouldn't have had the chance, and with how fast it all went over, I wouldn't have been able to see her. And since you're both now, you've obviously had your journey of them having been diagnosed and treatment and stuff, and obviously that took over your lives, but... What happens when their fateful day comes, when they do die and siblings is a very, very different relationship? What's that like when you find out your sibling has got a diagnosis and you get told this is untreatable? Well, a sibling to me, like it's someone who you begin your life with and should be there all the way to the end. So with my sister getting diagnosed at 38, getting told she might live two to three years, what hit 40. And then I was only 30 at the time. You just like everything's just all took away. Like I don't have any other siblings to like share your life with, your past, your childhood memories, everything that you've done when you were a child. Because obviously you have your relationship with your parents, but you experience everything grown up with you with your sibling around. So it's all it's all took away from you, like your, your past life and then your future also with your sibling. Yeah, I feel the same, Lauren. I feel like there's now two parts of my life. There's like the part where Rhea was in it and then there's the second half of my life without her in it. It does completely kind of separate the, those times in your life. Yeah, the memories, the childhood memories are are a big thing because nobody else knows them and you you tell a story about them, you you don't have that person that experienced it with you and was there in that moment and relate to it. And I found that really hard in, you know, reliving those memories, especially because I've got a really bad memory. So I'm really worried about, you know, that I'm not remembering them accurately enough and that the memories are going to fade. And I have a massive fear that once those memories fade in my brain, then they're lost forever. Still carrying them on. Yeah, and your and your mum and dad might have a 
kind of a vague recollection of them. Like they don't, they didn't live it, and they they no, were like, yeah, told like different experience of that memory they had because obviously yeah. they're the parents. Yeah, but I, like I have a terrible memory, and my sister literally remembered every little detail, <laughs> every little thing. So, yeah, so did Rhea. So I worry like when her kids have their kids or when her kids get older and they ask things about when we were little and I'm like, forget them. And I'm like, oh, no one is sort of like, that feeling's just horrible of thinking oh, I won't be able to tell them what she was like or any little stories about our childhood and things like that. Yeah, it's not in memories, is it? It is more the what they were like and yeah. the little things that yeah. do fade quite quickly about their mannerisms, the things they used to say, that even the tone of their voice and things like that. That's, it's really hard to like conjure that back up, that smell of them, the sound. Um, whereas, you know, a memory, sometimes you can kind of remember it more like if there's a photo and you can speak it. But yeah, the, the whole, their being is difficult to remember. I remember really early on after she died, I was in kind of a bit of a shock phase and I couldn't remember anything about her. I could only remember literally the past two and a half years where she was ill. I could only remember her as a unwell person. I couldn't remember what she was like as a, you know, normal. It was a really horrible feeling, but they've come back slowly, those those memories. And I think anyone out there that's in that phase at the moment, um, just be reassured that it will come back slowly because I was really panicked that, I would never get those memories back. Whether you get on with them or not, I think sibling relationships, they're the one person you can really argue with. My sister were like complete opposite people. That is the joy in like having a sibling because no matter, she didn't agree with her probably 99% of the decisions, but she was still there and supported us 100% on everything. Yeah, and I feel like partly when someone dies, they are you know, immortalised in, in their all of their positive traits, which obviously they had so many. And I think as a sibling, you know them inside out and you know they're like annoying traits and you can't deny that they were annoying or a bad trait in them. And I think I struggle with that, that everyone remembers all of the good times and all of the positive things. And I actually want to remember it all like at once because otherwise you're denying that aspect of that person. Um, so I find it difficult to to find people that I can talk about that stuff with. I think also it must be hard if now there's this perfect person that, understandably, like you said, people, what they want to remember the best of the person or that's the memories that they want to reflect on when they think of that person. But then that's a really difficult standard to live up to as the surviving sibling. Oh, definitely, yeah. Like, you always have little thoughts because my sister, like, had a full life planned out, she lived that dream. And then for me, I'm the complete opposite. Like I'm so laid flat back. I don't make any plans. And yet you have like a feeling like, God, like, should it have been me that like did the wrong sibling die? Like, should it have been me? Because my sister had so many plans and so many like different traits to me and things like that. Yeah, I have the exact same feeling as you, Lauren. And I think it comes and goes, that feeling. I think you logically, you know that is it's not really an like, accurate you know, emotion or response, but you can't help entering your mind. Yeah. Did the wrong one go? And I think, 
you go backwards and forwards with it. And I think it's easy to spiral in kind of looking at your, you know, self-perceived bad traits um, or things that, you know, you don't do and they do just because you're completely different people, even as small as like I'm really untidy and cluttered and really was completely OCD, really tidy. (laughs) And I just even think with my parents, like, you know, they prefer things tidy, like, yeah, but I'm not. I, I always feel myself comparing myself to her, which I think you're doing anyway. Katie would like it if this was more tidy. Yeah. Like, I am so untidy, really bad. And she was just like complete OCD. Yeah, it's hard because you it is the small things, but you can go down that kind of spiral of, you know, should I have gone instead of her? You know, luckily, like, it's not. Yeah, but, yeah. I also think sometimes on that that, I wouldn't want her to go through the pain that I'm going through either. So it's oh. like, it's just a lose-lose either way because I wouldn't want her to be alive now where I am now without her and having gone through this traumatic experience. But equally, I don't want her to be dead either. It's yeah, really- I'm the same. I think like, God, because my sister was like really stressful and emotional and mm. I always think like God I wonder like what she would have been like in my situation having to watch her little sister go through something like that yeah yeah it's just a, yeah it's bad either way but you just have to focus on the fact that you can't change it yeah. move on and just accept that as an emotion yeah. like of grief yeah, because you say that that you have those feelings. Do you think that sometimes that other people around you think that? Does that ever sort of pop into your head sometimes that, oh, I wonder if my parents preferred it if it was me? Do you ever get those feelings or is it an internal feeling of yourself? I don't think personally that my parents will think that, but I think it definitely crosses like my mind to think, God, I wonder because of like the untidiness and the my unorganized life, like, do they ever think, oh, I wish it had been like Lauren and not Katie and things? But even though, like, when you talk about it out loud, it yeah. sounds silly, but yeah. it's, it's like a feeling or a thought that you do that does cross your mind, of course. Yeah, I have the same. I don't think that my mum and dad would think it, but it has crossed my mind. But, you know, when you logically, think about it It, it's not a reasonable thought but I think that is grief isn't it it's it's irrational and unpredictable these thoughts and emotions aren't going to be normal um so I just try and focus on that that actually some things that I'm thinking aren't necessarily true Um, otherwise I think you go a bit crazy I would say a lot of people have experienced losing somebody you know they they have experienced the death of somebody whether it's a grandparent or but I think very, very few people have experienced the loss of a sibling. And I think that must be quite a lonely, isolating place to be because some of those conversations, I know we met a couple of weeks ago before we recorded this, just have a bit of a chat. And you two were like, yeah, that's how I feel. That's how I feel. But probably wouldn't feel comfortable to have said that you know, to somebody else because they wouldn't understand those feelings. Both immediately were like, yeah, exactly. I totally understand that. Yeah, like you can you can talk to your like friends who maybe have siblings but haven't lost any or like like even when I've talked to my partner because he doesn't have any siblings at all and like you think yes, like people are there for you and you can talk to people about it, but 
the, the no they can't truly understand how how you feel feeling and they just can't yeah I, th- I I feel that I can only be really open and honest with people that I know have been through a similar experience and I think it's even losing a sibling is one thing but also losing a sibling to a brain tumor is a very unique experience in itself and the emotions and the the journey that you go through with with caring for someone with a brain tumor is really unique so I think it's difficult to find people that have been through that but I know as soon as I talk to someone that has experienced it I can be totally open and honest and there'll be no judgment no kind of shock about what I'm going to say um, and I think it's really hard to find but when you do find it it's really helpful in making you feel you know understood and less alone in this and you've actually set up a group haven't you Kaz yeah and it's based it's based around this um concept really it's called grieflings and I met a um it's just a mutual friend who lost her brother to a glioblastoma as well and kind of we met and as soon as we met you know we were talking about things that I would never discuss with you know any friends or family and that connection that you that you build straight away is is really deep and you you can build a really good relationship on that and we really benefited from that that relationship both of us in in terms of our getting through our grief and I think we both realize you know everyone needs this everyone needs the people that you know or call it their grief tribe you know people that are going through the same thing to connect with each other is so helpful to get that support so yeah we set up the grieflings um a few months ago and we're just on on instagram and facebook but we're setting up um meetups virtual meetups we had our first one and they've been really really successful so far and i think the the people are out there that need it it's just trying to connect those people together um in a, in a type of network or community um so i'm excited for yeah where that will go and where that will take us that's absolutely amazing because you're absolutely right that their brothers and sisters are struggling I and mean, i think it's amazing that you've done that cause and we will put all the links in the show notes so that people can find you and if they'll know where they can do that I know when we talked, one of the other things that you'd said was that people often, when once you lose a sibling, people often ask how everybody else is, you know, how your parents, but they don't necessarily ask you how you are. People kind of connect with the fact your parents have lost a child, but not necessarily that you've also gone through a really, really unique personal grief yourself. Yeah, I had this a lot, like, obviously, because we had a long time throughout for our journey. Um, so I even had it when Ria was alive. Obviously, she was the main focus of everyone's attention because of what she was going through. Um, so it would be, how's Ria? Um, and then I would say, and then how's your mum and dad? <laughs> I'd say, and then the conversation would just go. And I didn't really mind too much, obviously, because my main focus was Ria and my parents as well. But there is a sense of just being a bit lost within the whole situation. And I think I've noticed that a lot since Rhea died as well, that um, a lot of people ask me, how's mum and dad? And, you know, I have to try and formulate some sort of answer, you know, that I don't really know how to answer that anyway. And then 
you know, is rarely asked, you know, how, how am I specifically? Um, not that, I, you know, I want that all the time, but it's just that feeling of just being a bit, you don't really have your place in, in that situation. And I, I totally get it. There's a part of me that knows that the grief of a parent, you know, losing a child, I can't even fathom that I don't have children, but I can see, you know, I've witnessed it and I know that it's, you know, the worst pain you can ever experience. But there is a place for the pain of losing a sibling as well. And it does get a little bit forgotten, I think, in um, in the support that you get um, when after someone dies. Yeah, definitely. Like, like I've said before, like to me, losing a child, there's nothing like worse you could go through in your lifetime. But as well as that, like, not taking anything away from sibling loss because when you see someone and the first thing someone will say to me is how's your mom how's your dad that's fine like you're speaking to me like you know what I mean like like no one and no one has ever said oh how are you yeah how are you you know what I mean and then like you say like when they ask how your mom or dad I was like I find myself now like I can't just say to someone oh they're not good you know like yeah it's cuts the conversation off doesn't it (laughs) you're going to go into detail of like how bad the grieving and things yeah are. imagine if you answered it honestly I will sometimes yeah. imagine myself answering it honestly and being like oh yeah they can't get out of bed but yeah like there's nothing like that's the first thing anyone ever says how's your mom how's your dad and I think that the thing it makes me feel when people say that is that that I don't deserve I, I know how sad I feel inside like I know my emotions but it it kind of doesn't fit with, it feels like I'm not worthy to experience these emotions. You shouldn't be grieving as much or hurting as much as your parents. Well, when you are just as much as them, you lost the same person. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. And that feeds in again as well as that, of that feeling of did the wrong sibling die almost. They're not even recognising how difficult that is everyone does have a certain place or a certain role within a family it's suddenly isn't there how does that affect the the family dynamics your role within the family yeah like my sister because she was so organized she like anything we're done as a family she organized it for us all so now when we do like family gatherings it just it doesn't just doesn't feel right anymore just Mm-hmm. I don't know it just makes like you feel like you you shouldn't be taking her place of doing all of that and yeah it's hard to put into words yeah that is completely changed I think it's it would be strange if it didn't completely change your family dynamics or even that external family or friends you know that whole community and network your support network for me is completely changed and that's I think hard to accept sometimes because I feel like oh I've already lost her you know and and then now everything else has to change but it's inevitable that it will because people loved loved that person and you know it would be odd if it didn't all change Mm -hmm. but I feel that you know within the family dynamic the your parents are grieving their child so I feel like they don't really have the space or time for your grief support you and then equally I feel 
I'm so deep in my grief, I actually can't support that. I wouldn't even know where to start with supporting them as a parent that's lost a child. Like it's just above my my qualifications as a daughter. So I feel like you'll become a bit detached from each other. And I don't know whether that changes over time. But for me, yeah, particularly, I feel like there's a little bit of a detachment and you kind of have to relearn your roles in the family or your responsibilities and how you relate to each other. It's like a complete like relearning process for me. And everyone, like me, me mum and dad, like everyone are in different stages of grief where like now I try to have a positive outlook and I try not to think about what my sister went through. Whereas I think my mum struggles with that, like to get past like what what you experience what my sister went through and it's hard to have a conversation with someone who just wants to speak about the sad times when you're at a place where you don't want to do that and as much as you want to be there for them like I think you don't want to hurt your mental health as well. I've realised definitely with that that you know you have to just look after yourself because if you're not feeling stable in yourself there's no way that you can help anyone else so I think especially for you know Rhea was ill for so long and did a lot of the kind of management of her you know medical side of things so I feel like there's no way for us to support each other now and the acceptance of that is kind of slowly coming and as you say Lauren we are all in such different stages we just can't relate to each other like even the only thing we relate to each other in is like we all still really want to talk about Rhea and want to you know think about memories and and share those together and so I think that is nice Um, but in terms of our own grief we're all kind of ships (laughs) passing in the dark and not really able to relate to each other but I think that's fine for now. Has this changed how you view the future in terms of your family dynamics? You plan a future where you expect that sibling to be there. Like you said, Lauren, right at the start, this is the person you, you've gone through your whole life up to this point with them mm. and you expect them to be there for your entire life. Yeah, um, see my sister, our kids are very similar. Our oldest is only 16 months between and then our youngest, I think, 14 months so we've done a lot with the, like the kids all together and we always made plans when you, I think about the future like we would have went on like more fam, big family holidays all together we would have done a lot more with the children so having that memories not being able to make memories is hard even trying to do things now and include her children without her is hard and aside from that the fact that when you have to say goodbye to your parents in the future like when we lose a parent like I have to do that on my own like yes I'll have people around as my partner and everyone but I don't have like the sibling which was our my little family of four my mum and dad me and my sister like I have to go through that on my own like when you think of funeral arrangements and anything like that and that for me is horrible yeah I have the same as you Lauren I have that for a lot of the time and I think that comes with it's very unique in terms of being the only one left because I I think a lot of um, some other siblings I've spoken to that do have other siblings 
that are still alive, they don't have that same worry. And I think for us being the only one left, I think that brings a huge pressure. I feel pressure, like responsibility, a massive responsibility. This is up to me now, you know. I'm going to be the one that, you know, has to manage things as they age. Yeah, and I also just feel like, same as you, that those kind of different life stages that you imagined experiencing with them, they're completely gone now. So it's kind of both sides. It's them not being able to experience their life, so that their unlived life in terms of, you know, what they would have done in the future. Like Rhea, she was only just starting out in her career. Like she hadn't really lived her life yet. And I feel sadness for her unlived life in terms of milestones and things but also for her not to be with me in my next you know milestones whatever I'm going to do my life yeah always imagined us doing that together you know experiencing whatever together even like you know as we got older and I remember like thinking like oh we've probably been in the same care home like causing havoc with our walking frames or something (laughs) that's quite sad isn't it that that not being there for your life moments as well as yeah, a big one for me is I'll get married next year oh, wow. I always had silly little thoughts about because my mum and dad were quite old well not quite older but they were older when they had me so I always used to think god I hope my dad's still here to like walk us down the aisle but it would never have crossed my mind to think oh my sister will not be there by my side at my wedding because she would have like had it all planned out because I don't have a clue about weddings or <laughs> details like that she would have had it fully planned out and it's like the realization of she she won't be there yeah that must be really hard yeah Yeah. it's those things that people don't necessarily even think about when they think about losing a sibling and you're right Lauren you know most people think that they lose their parents before Mm -hmm. they even contemplate losing a sibling Yeah. yeah and you wouldn't really plan like I don't know, because they're your parents, they're older, you wouldn't really plan your future yeah. together with them. Whereas yeah. with your sibling, you're planning your future together in your own head about, you know, how you imagine things will be. It's just taken away from you. It's really sad. Yeah. I also have a really strange fear um, of, <laughs> in my life, like trying, I have like a pressure of trying to keep myself alive. I don't know whether you have that. I'm like, oh, I hope I don't die before me mum and dad yes. because of what they've gone through now. And it, that would be, I just couldn't imagine them having to go through it again and be like, yeah, children. Same. But I, yeah, I always think, like, oh, God, I need to keep myself alive now. Yeah, like, I never thought about funerals or anything like that. So I've actually, me and me mum and dad actually, where my sister's buried, um, we've actually bought our grave plot. Same. So have we, right next to her. Right, and I've got, like, a, a funeral plan set up that I've been wanting for, so that'll all be paid off, because it just, like, I didn't realise how, like, expensive funerals were and things like that. And I'm like, God, I would hate for my children to have that worry. So, and all the details, because obviously I never spoke about about every detail of like how we would have wanted, like my sister would have wanted her funeral because obviously she was only 38. So, yeah. Even, even obviously, Rhea knew her diagnosis, but she was very kind of positive and yeah. she, she never really spoke about, you know, mm-hmm. the fact that she was going to die. But I, I think she did know, know it. But um, 
you know, she was kind of fighting right to the end. They never really had those conversations. And I think they would have been too hard. She wasn't in a place where she was ready for that. I found that really difficult because my parents were completely in shock. And so I took on a lot of the kind of organisational side of the the funeral and everything like that. And it was a lot of work, especially not knowing what they wanted because trying to guess to the best of your abilities as their sibling but really want to get it right for them which is strange because they don't really know but you want to like honor them in their the way that they would have wanted without knowing any of the details what they wanted we've got now like a usb with all of our plans on it because it just takes out that extra kind of pressure and worry after they've died one of our healthcare workers in our team, she talks about advanced care planning and she, she always says everyone should do that whether, they, yeah. whether they've got any illness or not. I agree with that. She said people are really resistant to bring up the subject of advanced care planning but because it's traditionally only brought up when people get a life-limiting illness that people do it. But everybody should do that as standard because nobody knows when they're going to go out and get hit by a bus nobody knows when something's going to happen with them and anybody can have an accident at any time so she said it's just good practice everybody should have their plans written down but often like you said once this happens suddenly you're left trying to figure this stuff out and you want to do the best and it's one of those things that people feel a lot of pressure and guilt and what should I do? Do they want to be buried? Do they want to be cremated? What songs would they want played? All those things. Mm. Like, and people stress out about it at a time when it's probably the most difficult time of their life anyway. Yeah, your brain can't even process, you know, anything in a, in a normal day-to-day, you know, life. To make all those decisions in that heightened state of emotion is very difficult. And I think, yeah, definitely everyone should talk about it more. But death is such a taboo subject isn't it in our culture I'm really finding that like now I've had someone close to me die I don't mind talking about death or dying because I've experienced it and I'm not scared of it but a lot of people are we, that would be really good to try and break down those barriers in our, in our culture do you yeah. think people find it uncomfortable to talk to you two since your siblings have died do you think that people avoid those conversations or avoid you even yeah, I think people probably think if they mention, like, my sister's name, they're like, it's going to hurt you or it's going to make you feel sad when, in fact, it's the opposite. Like, I love for people to, like, talk about her and, like, and it's all about, like, keeping a memory alive. Like, I want a name to be spoke about all the time. Yeah, same. And I think people don't realise when they say that, oh, I don't want to upset you, it's like, I'm already upset. You just, I'm just hiding it from you. I'm putting on a face. I'm pretending the whole day, you know, you're just acting like you're acting to be in normal society because you need to live and function. But um, I don't think people realize it's literally right at the tip. You know, it's just beyond the surface. Even if you do get upset, you know, when you're talking about them, it's not because of them it's just you already feel like that and I try and you know say that to my friends because same as you I just want to keep talking about her and keep her memory alive yeah definitely doing amazingly well like you said you have your good days and bad days I'm quite sure but for somebody that's going through this and may be struggling what what advice would you give 
I think for me personally, as I said earlier, is finding others that are going through similar similar situations because that's the only way you're going to find your support system. You have your existing support system in terms of your friends, family, but as we said all the way through, they're not going to resonate with this exact experience. So I think finding some people that really know exactly how you're feeling can really make you feel less isolated and just give you a bit more support to get through. And I think people should really consider, you know, professional help if they need it. I've had, I'm having counselling through Ria's hospice that she was associated with and they have a bereavement support team. So it's specific bereavement counselling, which I know, you know, isn't available everywhere. And obviously emotional support in grief is really not as well kind of supported in the country as it should be. But I'm finding it, I wouldn't say it helps. It's, it's not really a, you know, it doesn't make anything better, but it just helps you get through the week, you know, and offload certain feelings that you wouldn't really say to anyone else. So I'd say to people to consider professional help if you are really struggling. I know, I know people, lots of people don't really feel they want to, but for me, it's been, yeah, really, really good. Yeah, I think a lot of people feel like almost like it's scary to go to counselling because they feel like they're going to pop, it's taking the cork out of a bottle, that they're already struggling and the emotions feel too huge, too big, too overwhelming. They're frightened if they go to counselling. They will just be overwhelmed by the emotions, but actually it's a way of helping to process those emotions. Yeah, and I think the emotions are so huge that they're going to come out in other ways. And I could sense that kind of happening to me, that, you know, it's not going to stay inside as much as you try and keep it in. It's going to find ways to come out because it's such a huge, you know, life change and, and so many emotions going on. So I think, yeah, it, it is scary the first few times, but as you say, it's, it's that the way, the only way to process your emotions by talking them aloud. Like in the beginning for me, I was in like a really dark place and, when it happens, it's hard to comprehend, sorry, your life without them. Like, what's your life going to be like? Like, you feel guilty, like, for being happy and mm. hard to get past that. But, like, doing things like this helps me raise an awareness. Me and my best friend, Cheryl, set up, a like, a little page on Facebook and we do raffles every week and all the money goes to the brain tumour charity. So doing little things like raising money has helped me, like, I do little interviews or stories with magazines on my sister's story just to keep our, keep our memory alive and charity nights, like it would have been our 40th birthday in June coming up, like we're in the process of organising a charity night for the and with everything going to brain tumour charity. So having little things which is helping other families with little the money raised and raising awareness just makes me feel like I'm making a tiny little bit of difference, if anything. For, for other families and for things in the future as well as telling my sister's story and keeping her memory alive I just think you have to like for me personally like I've got two children and obviously my sister had two children and it's just like I have to have that positive positive look in life like or what kind of life are the kids gonna have so yeah I just try to like have a happy outlook although it never it's always in the back of your mind 
Mm. But my sister would not have wanted us to be unhappy forever. She would have wanted us to, to be happy and live on and do the things that she can't. Yeah, I think that finding your purpose is is the key, isn't it? Afterwards, when you're when your purpose before they've died has just been, you know, focusing on them, it's difficult to find that purpose in your life again especially for me because you know I moved over here to care for her and I don't have family so that kind of finding the meaning in your life again and that purpose and I think that can be through fundraising and like little things to honor them and raise awareness I think that's you know a brilliant way to channel your grief and that's about how I how it feels for me doing things like this it's like it channels your grief in a positive way yeah definitely thank you so much it's been really amazing and insightful because there's not a lot of people out there and it is so unique there probably are a lot of people out there but they're suffering in silence and that, that means there's a lot of people sitting at home feeling very isolated and you know years after still struggling to know what to do with that that bit beside them that's missing now that's just should be there but it's not yeah yeah Thank you both so much. Definitely, thank you. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you'll never miss an episode. If you'd like more information, you can visit our website at thebraintumorcharity.org or email our support team at support at thebraintumorcharity.org. And finally, before you go, if you enjoyed this podcast, please can you leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts so we can reach more people and raise more awareness. I'm Tamsin and I work in the individual giving team at the Brain Tumor Charity. Thank you for listening to this episode of our podcast. If you or a loved one have been diagnosed with a brain tumour and are worried about your finances, the Brain Tumor Charity's Benefits and Money Advice Clinic, run in partnership with Citizens Advice, is here to help you. Our expert advisors can help you access the financial support you're entitled to, as well as give advice on how to make the most of your money. To make an appointment with our Benefits and Money Advice Clinic, Visit our website at thebraintumorcharity.org slash money or call our support team on 0808 800 0004.